And welcome back to the Constitutionals Podcast. I'm your host, Chad White. If you didn't know, this is the premier podcast for the website, cpluscomedy.com. Like I just said, as the website, go there. Let me timestamp this episode. Guess what? Urban Meyer just hired by the Jags to be the head coach. <laughs> I always think it's so interesting before we get to the – we have a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, I think it's so interesting when uh, college coaches go to the big leagues and be that for football, basketball, baseball, the others. <laughs> I always think it's interesting, uh, and sometimes their their careers translate and uh, and work wonders. But the other times, it's it's a completely different game because it's slower, you know, more methodic, methodical, methodical like, and, uh, and it's especially true for between college football and and, and pro football. Uh, one of those I do not watch. The other, the Dallas Cowboys are my team, <laughs> so <laughs> you know it's right. Um. But yeah, I don't watch college sports, regardless. So it's very interesting to see, though. But I, I, I like. But I know, obviously, I know the the big the big name coaches, and um, you know, I, I want to see them succeed. I want to see what they can do with uh, the the big boys or their big girls uh, or whatever gender one they want to be when it comes to uh, when it comes to professional sports. Speaking of uh, professional sports, this is a quick little tangent. I was watching. Oh God, I forgot what season. Oh god, I don't know what season of uh I was watching a season of Survivor and I want to say 24 or 25. Uh that's a SpongeBob. <laughs> Patrick, I know something funnier than 24, 25. That episode of SpongeBob came on on Sunday and I was watching it. It's very weird to watch old SpongeBob and new SpongeBob. One's a lot more zany for no purpose, but then the older ones are zany for I guess purpose for effect, but uh, it's all the same. It's all so stupid. 25, season 25 of Survivor. And one of the people who was voted out, this uh, this this season's about 15 years old, so I guess I can say this, uh, was a, is an old pro baseball player. And uh, so he had, he's, you know, he's made a lot of money, obviously, already. Uh, his name is Jeff. And um, he, you know, he, the entire the entire time he's there, the first eight episodes, I'm like, oh, this guy, he knows how to play the game. He's really trying to play his game. And he seems like a decent guy. He's from Texas. Already iffy. Uh, you know where I'm going with this. He's from Texas, and he's got the Southern accent, and he's not telling people that he played baseball. Um, he recognizes one of the other players who used to be on uh, an 80s uh, sitcom, and she left that world. And now, you know, so anyway. So, um you know he's a, he seems like a nice guy and then at one point he go, he gets he gets he gets voted out um and then in his testimonial at the end of the episode that they play over the credits he goes man you know see i've already made uh after playing baseball 60 million dollars and uh, i just wanted this 1 million dollars so bad but it's not even a million dollars it turns uh it turns out to be about 600,000 after obama gets his cut and i went oh my god so i paused it <laughs> And I went back 10 seconds and he said, and I heard the Obama thing and I went, Oh no, is this guy a racist? Looked him up. The, uh, <laughs> not a good guy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very interesting to see, uh, especially after all the riots last week, <laughs> that that guy was indeed uh, a non savory type, but let's get to this. Already four minutes into a, a episode that's probably going to be forty minutes long. Uh, so this week saw the premiere of season premiere of new shows and even uh, shows starting out uh, entirely. 
is what basically what I just said. Um, so both, uh, oh God, what is her name? Lily Singh <laughs> and Stephen A. Smith shows of Revered. So Stephen A. Smith has a new show on um, ESPN Plus uh, called Stephen A.'s World. And it is a late night style show, but with sports. Um, and when I say a late night style show on ESPN Plus, it is half an hour of uh, a guy talking about sports and it happens to air uh, at 5 30 p.m which i guess is late night now <laughs> on espn plus nowhere else so the the show is Stephen a smith by himself um giving uh i can liken this to um uh oh god what is her name uh to, Steve, to samantha b i can liken this to samantha b or uh, um, John Oliver to this being a half hour show and then you know them having two stories up top and then like a main story or like one main story you know it's it's anyway so that's what Stephen A's show is but the problem is he already has this show and he shares it with another person in first take that's or two other people in first take so that's what it is it's just him regurgitating the same thing he said at 9 a.m. You know, versus, but now it's 530. And then also he interviews uh, celebrities. And, um, but we don't need that. Like the the world does not need another show like this, Uh, which is interesting because uh, I've, so I looked up, you know, I know Katie Nolan. So anyway, uh, yeah, anyway, I looked up Katie Nolan and uh, she had a show because I remember this, it was always late with Katie Nolan, with Katie. And I thought that show was great. Um, but it was like, it was on ESPN and they moved it to like ESPN two. And then basically now it's, it's canceled, um, because they couldn't do it from home. And then, uh, turns out that, uh, Katie basically doesn't want to work with ESPN anymore because, you know, her podcast, she just, she had just signed a contract in the fall and then they fired her uh, podcast producer, uh, who'd already, who'd been with ESPN for a very long time, um, or they laid her off. Uh, that's, that's what they're saying. And um, so, yeah, she was uh, 13 years with the company. And and then Katie basically said on her podcast, who the woman is, like, the, I guess the woman was still with the show up until, like, early this year, um, that, uh, that she would not have stayed with ESPN had she known that that, that was going to happen. Uh, you know, and... I mean, ESPN, this, this is this is what it gets into the part where, you know, they cut they cut off a leg hoping to attach another leg. That's like a, like it's like, <laughs> I don't know, like it's like a, it's like a Frankenstein's monster, you know, you just, like uh, this leg doesn't work. What about uh, this leg? And we'll, we'll put this on and sew this on. It's a little bit shorter and, you know, it gives you a little uh, hobble when you walk. I mean, it's 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 insane. So, and, and Stephen A's show does not need to exist because he already has, he has a radio show. He's got this. He's got first take. Uh, he he pops up on other shows. He pops up on Sports Center. He pops up on uh, uh, the Jump. You know, I I don't know. And he just seems he already. And he, like, I wrote down on my notes. He seems stiff. Uh, it's needless sports commentary in a late night format. On the first two episodes, he talked to Snoop Dogg and Steve Harvey. Um, he speaks, and the problem, one of my big problems with Stephen A. Smith and basically uh, people talking about sports in general, be it at uh, Fox Sports or CBS Sports, 
uh, or NBC Sports or ESPN is that or ABC Sports, I guess, <laughs> too as well, uh, is that they they all scream when they talk, um, and everybody just kind of talks like this, like they're trying to get their point across. Like and it, and it's, I mean, <laughs> men and women, they both do it, and it's it's annoying to see, and it's so it's it's so stupid because it, it like it makes you seem like. Like there's there there can be a lot of nuance to talking, but just like news, there can be a lot of nuance to talking about sports, um, and that's why you know you have some sports journalists that have become these great personalities, like Adrian Wojnarowski. I know I've just mispronounced his last name. <laughs> He's great. Uh, I think Kellerman could be good without you know him yelling over things. And I think even I think Stephen A. has some smart things to say, like when he said about uh, Kyrie Irving needing to retire because he's missed four games for personal reasons without telling people what the person without telling the league rather what the personal reasons are. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Oh, and then he has a mic drop segment to end the show, which I think is I think it's very him. Uh, that you know he basically he he wraps up everything and he has a conclusion and everything, and I think that's cool. Um, but on that, I don't think the show needs to work. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think the show needs to be on. Uh, but the, but conversely, Lily Singh's show, which I did write a packet for. That's not a joke. I wrote a packet for that show. And I thought it did pretty pretty damn well. But uh, <laughs> apparently they did not. <laughs> um, they are, it, the show, the second season is basically a reboot. And it's a very, it's a much needed reboot. They're now shooting at a house, which I think they rented out um, in California, in Los Angeles. And the entire crew is there. The writer's right in a little uh, kid's treehouse. Um, and they have a rant room for her to do rants in. Uh, and it, it looks like a high-produced YouTube show, which is her strength. This is who Lily is. They are really playing into her strengths versus throwing her in a pantsuit and putting her in front of an audience. She never needed an audience. She never needed an audience. She she plays better when she's in front of a, uh, a a camera. I'm sorry, there's a bug flying around. <laughs> she plays better when she's in front of a camera. She plays be- by herself, uh, and she's playing off of uh, you know the camera person, or she's playing off of herself. And there's little cutaways and in those little rant topics that she does. Um, so yeah, she interviewed the first. I only watched one episode of that, but she because uh, I'm still bitter they didn't hire me. That packet was pretty friggin' good. Uh, she she spoke to Sway T, uh, the rap raptress, <laughs> uh, whose video froze mid interview, and and uh, Lily just ran rolled with it, um, and that was and that's good. Uh, and the show and the show looks good. I don't know if it's because I watched it on my iPad and it was kind of you know shrunk down and, uh, and it was on this like you know a Retina display and it was an HD it was streaming in HD. But you know I don't know how it looks blown up on a television. But if it felt like a YouTube video and it felt like like they could easily break out everything onto the onto to to the web to the web. <laughs> it plays their strengths and that's all I wanted to say. Uh, you know what? I think we might have to take a break. Yeah, because the stuff I want to talk about is uh, still coming out. All right, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about, uh, you know, everything. Come on, buddy. Here we go. Going to break right now. And we're back from break. You know, last week's episode was uh, really well produced, and uh, this week's episode, 
I'm trying. I'm still trying to find the half a medium. I don't know what to do. I don't want to buy an arm for my desk because I, I also don't like this desk. Uh, but buy an arm for this de- for the desk for the microphone, uh, even though that'll make things easier. Because I have this on stage mic, <laughs> the mic stand. Uh, but now I'm like, I'm like contortioning myself and leaning, and, uh, and uh, you know, ruining my posture. Hey, Peloton released an upgrade, uh, or excuse me, a feature on the app, not on the app, on the website uh, and the and the device equipment, like the the tread and the bike, uh, and then eventually it'll be on the app called uh, Stacking, where it's basically a playlist for for work for workouts that you want to do for that day. Uh, so I'm excited that I can't wait to do that. I've been wanting that feature for a long time. Hopefully they put it on the app sooner rather than later, and uh, hopefully you can save workouts stacks anyway let's move on because we got a lot to talk about uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff happened a lot of good stuff a lot of stuff happened in the entertainment business world this comes from the new york times written by john Cobblin, my good friend viewers streaming favorites question mark old network tv shows so basically what this is saying, it's a chart from Nielsen. Nielsen is saying that most viewers of streaming television are streaming old things that they love. Case in point, The Office, Grey's Anatomy, Criminal Minds, NCIS, Schitt's Creek, Supernatural, Shameless, New Girl, The Blacklist, and Vampire Diaries, all acquired series from Netflix. For 2020, they counted for uh, mil- just hundreds of millions of hours each. And the the disparaging numbers uh, between The Office and The Vampire Diaries, insane. Office, 952 millions of hours in 2020 versus Vampire Diaries, which is number 10, which is still number 10 out of all streaming, 235. Uh, for original series... Netflix dominated with the exception of Mandalorian, which took the number five spot uh, with Ozark, Lucifer, The Crown, Tiger King, Umbrella Academy, Great British Baking Show, Boss Baby, Back in Business, which I did a tribute to, Longmire, and You. Movies, Disney Plus and Netflix shared the same titles. I mean, shared the shared the uh, track, the list, whatever. Frozen, Moana, Frozen 2, Moana, Secret Life of Pets 2, Onward. Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, Hamilton, Spencer Confidential, Aladdin, Toy Story 4, Zootopia. Notice on that list, Onward is the only new one. And Hamilton. Onward and Hamilton are the only new ones. And they managed to break into that. Uh, now, see, the Nielsen, this is, again, from Nielsen. Uh, Nielsen reported viewership for Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and Amazon, but has yet to release figures on Apple TV+, HBO Max, or Peacock. Now, keep in mind, this is not Netflix saying these things. It's Nielsen measuring uh, things like, uh, you know, Twitter statistics, people talking about on Twitter, or, um, you know, basically going into the back end and reporting what Netflix won't. It'll, it's, it's basically like if, um, oh, God, I'm, I am for sure butchering this, but it would be like if... Uh, LeBron, that bug is back. If LeBron, <laughs> if LeBron's uh, scored a triple double, uh, but the Lakers only said, uh, you know, <laughs> they only accounted for the two point, the two pointer shots, and uh, and nothing else, and they weren't reporting anything else. And then uh, Nielsen said, uh, or like they said, like you know, he had the most two pointer shots uh, of the night of anybody of the night. 
And then Nielsen said, yeah, but also we had a triple-double. <laughs> I just killed it. It's so stupid. <laughs> but it's interesting that people are going back and watching the old things uh, versus things that, you know, did release, like the, like Tiger King, which, you know, pretty much everybody watched in 2020. Um, I just thought I just thought that was a very interesting thing. But it, it's good that Nielsen is providing these statistics because they need to people need to get a grasp or, or excuse me, networks. People should get a grasp on what, you know, it is popular to watch uh, versus, you know, the Netflix algorithm or Hulu suggesting it to you. Uh, and then also it's it works well for business side, the companies to go, OK, they really like the office. We should make another show like that. But I think that is played out. Now, move, still on television, moving on. This is to, uh, from the rap written by Reed Nakamura. LGBTQ representation on TV cl- declined this year, Glad Report says. Um, however, I did see a statistic that said that broadcast Glad representation was up, or LGBTQ uh, representation was up. The annual study is called Where We Are on TV. Uh LGBTQ representation declined. I speed through it because there's just so many letters. I'm sorry. Declined representation declined year over year. Uh, I paused because this morning I was feeding the cat and I was uh, in the background. You know, I was, I was cooking my breakfast after stretching from the gym, obviously. I was cooking my breakfast and uh, in the background on the TV, I was playing. Um, the 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 previous the latest episode of um you, you know I think it was Seth Meyers uh doesn't matter who it was but the previous episode of that and uh, I was and I was making my breakfast I was paying attention to the show and then all of a sudden if you have a pet you could you or a child or a young child you know you can hear you can hear when they're about to vomit and all I heard was you know I just tuned into that. You know, that from the cat. <laughs> and then I go, and I just, you know, before she even gets it out, I go, God bless it. You know, I'm like, I'm like, curse up a storm. I'm like, this always happens. You know, why you eat too fast? This is what happens to eat too fast. I'm walking over there with a paper, with the paper towels and, you know, cleaner before she even does it. Uh, and then she goes, Rawr! and she lets it out. And it's just, you know, undigested kibble and, uh, and, and wet food. And then, uh, and then she runs away because you know she's did something wrong. She's done something wrong. And then, as I'm cleaning up, she slowly walks up to me and she looks at it and she's like, "I didn't that." <laughs> and then she expects me to feed her again, which I do not. Just a little bit. I get a little bit more food. Um. But yeah, now I'm. Now I I thought I heard that, but it was The Simpsons on television. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to. I'm glad I. I'm glad I interrupted this LGBTQ representation thing to tell you a, a stupid story about my dumb cat, Nova. <laughs> She's looking at me like crazy. Okay. Um, the annual study found that 9.1 percent of series regulars, 70 out of 733, on broadcast in the 2020 to 2021 TV season are LGBTQ, including characters. Okay, uh, screen there. All right, that's down from the record high of 10.2 percent in 2019-2020 television season. 
canceling shows like How to Get Away with Murder and Empire and Stumptown took away from a lot of LGBTQ characters. Uh, I did not watch How to Get Away with Murder. I stopped watching Empire after season one because he said it was like King Lear. And I thought, I was like, yeah, it's interesting. And then uh, it just turned into trash. Uh, and I have not seen Stumptown. So I have no idea if they do have uh, queer characters in that show. I want to say queer for no one. <laughs> Much easier. Uh, no, if they don't, they have LGBTQ characters in that show. Uh, but then there's also, you know, new shows or recent shows that have um, that have these LGBTQ characters, but they've been delayed, like uh, for the next season, um, like Euphoria, Killing Eve, The L Word, Generation Q. All of those have these characters that identify as such, but uh, it just it just seems like it's it's hurting it's hurting uh it's hurting the the cause uh and more the pandemic excuse me rather because i said that i read something that i just I, I did only said the last half the the pandemic is hurting the cause in more ways than one um so it's so basically the the better that the faster we can make these shows um the better the represent, representation becomes and then also there should be more inclusive characters in these shows you know as much as i hate supergirl uh <clears throat> alex is uh and particularly alex <laughs> you know alex is a, is a is a lesbian character and um and the faster we can get that show even though it's in its last season on air the the more you know people can identify with her um so let's move on to Warner Media. This is from the Hollywood Reporter. Behind Warner Bros. Olive Branch, the top talent, written by Mia Galupo and Kim Masters. So this is interesting because this is talking about um, when HBO, when when Warner Media said, "Hey, we're going to release all the movies onto HBO Max and in theaters, but also on HBO Max the same day." Uh, it kind of made stars and producers and directors. Uh, reel back and uh, want to re-examine their relationship with that company. Uh, but now it is said that HBO, or excuse me, Bro- Warner Brothers, this film studio, film side of it all, is reaching out to the likes of Denzel Washington. And like they've already done Gal Gadot, they've already done uh, Patty Jenkins to give them extra money on the back end for the money that they will lose uh, by not having the movies in the theaters. So Denzel's getting $20 million plus because of uh, the streaming woes, but but then conversely, Gal only got ten, and then Patty, I don't remember how much she received, but uh, Warner is basically, you know, they're trying to um, cover themselves and say, hey, hey, no, 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 we we still re- we're gonna, you know, theaters are our promise, and we're gonna pay you the money that you're gonna you're that you were supposed to get that you'd theoretically be getting, um, and there's no. And what they get at in this article is that there's no one formula that really works uh, in terms of this, in terms of this, uh, you know, this of how of how this how this should work, because we're in the middle of a pandemic and everyone is just figuring out as we go along. According to sources, a Warner's draft proposal outlined that talent making less than four million will be paid an additional 25 percent of their salary upon the release of the film as an advance against box office bonuses. Anyone making four million dollars and over the advance will be getting 40 uh, percent of their salary. Moreover, the box office performance thresholds tied to the bonuses 
would be halved. And regardless of the film's run at the global box office, all deferments would be honored upon the film's release. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, but the one that really concerns me is the box office performance thresholds tied to the bonuses would be halved. Oh, oh, okay. So uh, once they reach, once like if a movie grosses a certain amount, um, then the stars, the above-the-line people, uh, would be paid more. And so now, you know, since since not not like no movie is making you know two hundred million at the box office, if they make just seventy million, they get paid. Uh, also, seventy million still too much for a pandemic, right? Okay. All right, listen, we're going to go to break, and then we come back. We got, uh, you know, hold on. Let me see if I can eke out one more story. Uh, and then the NBA is going to expand to 32 teams. Maybe, hope they're thinking. <laughs> Written by Jabari Young over on CNBC. Kansas City needs a billionaire to get an NBA team or to go to Las Vegas. The thing is, um, Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, is saying, hey, if we get more teams – then this will take less pressure off the current team owners to have to, you know, have to be losing so much money. Uh, so they're trying to expand up to 32 teams. Uh, and there's one possible team looking to be in Seattle, to be formed in Seattle, uh, while um, Kansas City is asking for more money to expand. Or they're going to have to go to Las Vegas. But then there's also logistical challenges in Las Vegas. Very interesting article. Check it out. Okay, now we'll go to break. Okay, we'll see you when we get back to talk about the last part. Bye. All right, starting in three, two, one. And we're back. Oh, yeah, good swig of water I got. Mm, so delicious and metallic-y. <laughs> That might be a Talos episode. So delicious and metallic Okay. Let's get into this episode. The rest of this. The final parts. He says as uh, it's been 30 seconds and he's not saying anything. All right. So today I listened to um, uh, Kara Swisher over on uh, from the New York Times, a journalist, um, she inter- she has a podcast called Sway where she talks to business industry leaders. And uh, she talked to um, the guy who created Parlor <laughs> last week after the riots uh, to uh, at the Capitol. Uh, and she destroyed him. <laughs> she and um, she talks to, to Brene Brown. She talks she talks to, you know, to get their side of the story essentially. Uh, but also she questions them hard and I love it. She's so good. She's so good at what she does. Um, but she talked to, uh, Anna Wintour, the Vogue, <laughs> the Vogue editor, <laughs> the person who owns, you know, Vogue and all that crap. Uh, Conde Nast, excuse me. Um, yeah, whatever, who cares? Anyway, so she talked to, um, to uh to Anna Wintour and she talked to, and they talked about the Kamala Harris cover for Vogue, uh, which the digital version of that cover is getting the one the the cover that people that the that Kamala Harris's people agreed on, agreed upon, uh, and then the one that's releasing to the public, um, not digitally in a physical format, 
uh, has a completely different picture that they said no. And it basically makes her look too casual. And uh, anyway, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, take it as you will, but uh, it, it look, it, it's not, it's not something that is becoming of a incoming person of color, vice president, female, you know, and, uh, and compared, you know, and there's another Conan ass story we'll get to in a second, but the, it just, it just makes Kamala look, um, not good. Like I said, becoming, and people are calling it disrespectful, um, which I completely, I agree with. Editor-in-chief, Anna Wintour is the editor-in-chief. According to the people familiar with the arrangement, both scenarios had been agreed on in advance from clothes to backdrops. However, while the portrait had been deemed the cover try uh, and the standing shot conceived as the uh, inside photograph, Vogue had not granted any kind of contractual cover approval rights to Ms. Harris. That meant Ms. Harris's team had not seen the final choice, which was left to Vogue, and had not known the magazine had decided to swap the photos. Um, it's uh, I don't know. It just it just seems like, you know, it just seems kind of rude in the end. It just makes her. It just makes, you know, she's coming into a position of power where the entire world should be respecting her. And then, you know, coming in with this, uh, the photo that, uh, that, that is up there just doesn't look good. And she's a black woman and she's Indian. She needs to be strong, uh, you know, look like that. Um, but then also on the other side of Conde Nast, this comes from the verge from Ashley Carmen, who wrote the, uh, Vogue thing, excuse me, for New York times that is written by Vanessa Friedman. From the style section. Condé Nast Entertainment. This is from Virgin and Ashley Carmen. Condé Nast Entertainment wanted a major podcast network, but the producers say they got burned. So this is the, in 2020, Condé Nast was going to be a Condé Nast Entertainment. They were going to have all these podcasts. I believe before the uh, blow up over at uh, Bon Appetit, uh, they had a podcast that was run by Adam Rappaport, who was the cause of the blow up. And, um, and it was a pretty big, I guess, food podcast. Uh, uh, and, and so Conde Nast, seeing that, you know, these companies, you know, Earwolf was and Stitcher was bought by Scripps um, and, and all these and all these other companies were snatching up pot and, you know, Spotify is buying Joe Rogan. Conde Nast saw it fit that they want they're going to do the same thing, going to start, but, but they're going to do it themselves and make their own and make their own money. Cody Nass hired all these uh, contractors to make these podcasts, make a couple of shows, and then the pandemic hit, and uh, and then racism. <laughs> they they were deemed racist and all this other stuff, and then eventually uh, things just petered out, and th- and the contractors, uh, their contracts were canceled. Um, the the shows are now in the ether, or just like just like sitting in purgatory rather, and. Uh, and the so so nothing so they have they have no clue what's going on. Agnes Chu, a former Disney Plus executive, now leads Conde Nast Entertainment and took over for uh, some other people um, who was who were fired <laughs> because of uh, problematic tweets. Uh, the source close to the Conde Nast says uh, the vision of the was to create an in an in house podcasting team, uh, whereas Chu. 
uh, thinks the most effective ways to create shows is outsourcing their production. So basically, it's it's one plan from the past guy and this and the new person uh, are just like not gelling, and um, and also you know they're dealing with the wrath of people not watching. You know, I, I loaded up uh, Bon Appetit. <laughs> I loaded it up. I I got the cassette tape and I put it inside the VCR and uh, I was and I saw the the Bon Appetit videos. I, I I went over to Bon Appetit's YouTube channel and um, uh, I think like a couple weeks ago or last week. And uh, the videos that would that should be getting you know five hundred thousand to one point five million views uh, aren't, and uh, it it just it's very you know a year ago at this time. You know, people were commenting and loving it, and now they're just like not getting any views at all. Um, so yeah, Comfy Nass is is still you know in this in this bad place. Uh, but speaking of bad places, I'm just kidding. There's no bad place for Netflix. Netflix is. Uh, oh, I was listening to How I Built This with Guy Raz podcast, and he was talking to Jack Conti uh, and the other guy who created Sam Yu, I believe, who created. Um, Patreon and uh, a pay, a, you know, just like Spotify, just like Netflix, they're burning through cash, but they're, they keep getting users and that's how they keep making money. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. So this week, this year, just like Netflix uh, did a couple of years ago uh, with uh, comedy specials every week, they're doing that for movies every week. And they have movies starring Leonardo DiCaprio. They have movies starring Kevin Hart. They have movies starring Ryan Reynolds, uh, Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot. And, uh, and, you know, though they may not be the best movies in the world, they're still feeding into this. Uh, oh, Jay Z's got a movie, but they're still feeding into this uh, thing. Get out of here, bug! Get out of here. <laughs> okay, they're still feeding into this into this system that is uh, Netflix's, and I hate saying this word, but content farm. Um, this comes from the New York Times, written by, I believe it's John Coleman, Nicole Sperling. Excuse me. Netflix flexing its muscles announces 2021 film Slate. Uh, the Scott Stuber runs the runs the uh, the the film section. <laughs> He's the film chief. This comes from Variety. Netflix film chief Scott Stuper on streamers stacked 2021 slate and saving the rom-com. And he basically explains why they're doing a movie every single week. The idea is that, you know, there were, uh, there were DVD sales years ago and that's how companies would make their money. And uh, but now it's all streaming, and now they're also they also have a global audience. So uh, they're trying to reach as many people as possible. And uh, a lot of these movies, you know, yes, they are Hollywood, but a lot of them are going to be Bollywood movies um, that come out uh, to American audiences, but also to Indian audiences. And um, and that's going to be because because you know shows like Money Heist. Have just done well. The the one of the one of the shows in top ten right now on the Netflix thing. When you see the top ten, is called Lupin, and uh, I believe that is British, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, so um, they have these. They have they have to think about all of their audiences around the world rather than just the American one. Uh, let's see. They talk about Scott Stuber talks about being ahead of the curve on. Um, 
home releases for streaming. Uh, three and a half years ahead of the curb is what he's talking about. Um, he is coy on whether supporting movie theaters is still good. It's very interesting. And uh, some of the movies are acquisitions. Some of the movies they had to buy from you know Sony or Universal or Paramount. Um. So yeah, so that's it's just a very short interview and and the movies they're talking about on the New York Times, you know, all that stuff. But then also, this is very interesting. This comes from Rebecca Sun over at the Hollywood Reporter. Netflix details two years of foundation building and first inclusion report. Um, what I wrote in my notes was Netflix's inclusion numbers show growth, but it's still missing the mark. 45.5% of its U.S. employees are white, and then uh, nearly half of their employees are women. So it's very interesting that, yes, they have they have all these great roles for uh, for women in particular, um, but it's still it's still kind of flatlining at some point. Uh, just like I mean, but I think you know, in terms of being. Of showing that stuff off, showing that stuff off. In terms of that being out in the public, I think Netflix is doing a better job than uh, the likes of it, CBS and 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 the, and and the rest of them that that are, that have that type of stuff. As of October 2020, 471 percent of Netflix's 8,000 full-time streaming employees worldwide were women, which is I think it's 47 is a great number, um, but I would love to see it more. Race and ethnicity. Asians are the second most prevalent after the white. But whites have 58% of the leadership, which is um, too much. And 45%, uh, 45.5% overall. Asians after that are 23.9%. And then, uh, which, and, which is 15.7% of leaders. And then Hispanic and Latino represent 8.1%. And then um, Netflix has nearly doubled its black employees, nine, uh, which is eight percent. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Good lord! But I, you know, these these numbers, and that and that's in twenty twenty alone. But uh, you know, these these numbers can change, obviously. And and the and this and this company is still uh, growing. But um, you know, we're just talking about you know global expansion and global reach of of movies and shows and stuff. But, um, I, you know, what it seems like is that they do have a good understanding of their audience and what they need to do in representation inside the company. Because if you can see, you know, if, uh, if they hire, uh, people of color and women and people in LGBTQ to, uh, to, to work these jobs, then those people can say, Hey, we need more shows. Uh, Starring black people, we need more shows starring, uh, you know, trans people. So it's great. It's great to see, but we I want to see these numbers grow, and then especially for that glad the glad study, I want to see that grow um, year over year, quarter over quarter, even. People are changing jobs all the time in the industry. Uh, I know I will be soon. <laughs> That's not a joke. <laughs> all right, so. Speaking of jokes, if you like what you heard here, head on over to the website, seethiscomedy.com, uh, where you can see, uh, you know, interviews of your favorite comedians. Um, you can also, if you want to see a video version of the show, go to youtube.com slash comedy. 
you'd see me struggle to sit up straight because this microphone keeps falling over. Also on youtube.com slash people's comedy is our premiere show news time, uh, premiere video inter- entertainment business news show, which is an entertainment business news show where I talk about entertainment business news for the week. This week's episode is about uh, Substack. It's a very good episode. I really like, I, I look, I like doing the show. I love doing the show. I love doing the show. I have to keep convincing myself. I love doing the show. But when I, when I, when I do a really good episode, I'm proud of, it's a really good episode. I'm proud of So check it out. Uh, talking about uh, journalists moving from big media conglomerates over to uh, a newsletter, essentially, and making millions of dollars doing it. So check it out. It's a good episode. Uh, YouTube, uh, sorry, excuse me, Instagram, Twitter, at C plus comedy, Facebook, C uh, plus comedy, me, at C plus comedy, uh, at Chad Black White, no, on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> All right, I got to go. I'm very hungry. I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.